This is the All I Need Skate Podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, please let us know by subscribing, liking, and sharing an episode. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the show. Each and every episode is brought to you by All I Need. We are a growing skateboard company focused on supporting our skate team. Our decks are seven ply Canadian maple made right here in the USA. If you enjoy the show and would like to help support it, the best way to do that is to skate one of our decks. If you see an all I need deck at your local skate shop, swoop it up and shred it. If you don't live near a skate shop, don't worry. We have you covered at alllineedskate.com. Something new to the online store is our script pullover hoodie. It comes in three colorways. We have black, navy, and maroon in sizes small through 2XL. And again, check out all our skateboards and apparel at alllineedskate.com. This episode is brought to you by Scooch. Scooch makes the world's most functional Apple and Samsung phone cases. If you're like me and film a lot of skating on your phone, I'd suggest purchasing the Wingman case. It has an epic pop-out kickstand handle that is great for filming skating. Please make sure to use our affiliate link, scoochcase.com forward slash all I need. I'd like to give a shout out to the always epic Tim McKenney for helping connect me with Danny and making this episode possible. This is the first episode of 2023. I love you motherfuckers and I'm grateful to be here and now with you. Our guest today is the legendary Danny Gonzalez. In this episode, we discuss his early influences with freestyle skating, his early days in San Francisco, his ups and downs with sponsorships, which include Stereo, Chapman, Globe, how he dealt with knee and ankle injuries. We discuss the mission to Wallenberg to get that first try kick with Melon Grab. We also talked about his experience in Scientology and acting and much, much more. Thanks for coming on the show. And where I'd be stoked to start is at the beginning. Like, how did you grow up? Maybe a little bit about what your family's like, how you got into skating. Did you play any sports? How'd you do in school? I know that's a lot, but somewhere to start. Yeah. yeah. Um, I grew up in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, my mother came from Puerto Rico with my dad. Uh, he was in the Air Force. And then um, they ended up splitting. Um, and I was raised by my single mom and my brother. And we were really close. And um, basically, when we were kids, we 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 did BMX freestyle like a lot. And we were super into that. So any BMX movies we watched, like, um, well, Curb Dogs and Rad and um what other ones um yeah i think bmx bandits which was a really bad movie but (laughs) yeah so um his friends in the neighborhood had gotten skateboards and so then he shifted to skateboarding and then obviously when you have an older brother you tend to kind of follow what they do so then i shifted too so um my first skateboard that i kind of technically had had like uh, a metal bar going up to it with grips. Whoa. So that, that taught me how to stand on my board. And then one day I unscrewed that off, took it off. And then I was skating that board and I put regular skate wheels on it. Cause it was like a really crappy, like, uh, Toys R Us skateboard. And then 
And then I convinced my mom to get me a real board. And I was probably nine when that happened. Did you know about skate shops then? Because like, how'd you know to get a new board (laughs) or where to get a new board? A real board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, dude, my my brother's homies all had like the best boards. They had uh, Schmidt Stick. They had Rob Rob Scott. They had Lance Mountain, Tony Hawk boards. And then we had watched Future Primitive. And so we knew like Powell Peralta was around. And there was a skate shop that was like 20 miles away. So we went to that skate shop. And then uh, my first board, I got to like look on the wall and pick a board. And I was so little that I ended up picking um, a, a, a Kevin Harris freestyle board. That was like my first pro board that I skated. <laughs> Wait, how old yeah. are you when you got your first board? Nine. Yeah, that's mad little, dude. I skate with my friend yeah. Elijah right now. He's yeah. he's 10, but I met him when he was nine. Like, mad little. Yeah. <laughs> and that was uh, 1987. Oh, sick. Yeah, so I was really like yeah 86 87 around that year and i skated the freestyle board and pretty much was just a freestyler you know my favorite skaters at the time was uh rodney mullen kevin harris and per willander whoa and, sick yeah so that's what i did for like a year it was just straight freestyle yeah uh pair pair is awesome dude i used to ride for birdhouse in blitz distribution for a little bit so i got to meet pair and learn a little bit about his skating too i've never met him but obviously a big fan of his video parts and his his board graphics you know that's crazy you started freestyle man because like the skating i seen of you in videos and magazines wasn't freestyling you know it was like way after the fact Yeah, well, what happened was that transition went to like the year after, uh, like Streets of Fire, Not As Coppice, Tommy Guerrero, and seeing Tommy charge down the hills and do big launch ramps, and then seeing Not As spin on fire hydrants and do a lot of one foot plant, like one foot, like I guess one foot plant kicks and things like that. Yeah. Um, so if you actually look, uh, and then later, and I'm skipping ahead, but later, like John Montesi, I was, I really, really loved John Montesi and Jeremy Ray and uh, basically people and Chris Markovich, who did huge gaps. Yeah. So I went from, if um, and, and we'll go back, but if you look at some of the moves I've done, it's like one wheels, manuals, like one legged manuals, but then I did a lot of wall rides. Yeah, and then I'd incorporate Rodney Mullins' kickflip out of Nottis Coppice's wall ride. Yeah, so if you really look at kind of the tricks that I did, it really embodies those guys, you know. And yeah, and the gap skating was like, you know, we come from the days like if you ollie a gap, that was like a win. Nowadays, I guess you got to like do every flip trick known to man down the gap. But back <laughs> then, if we ollie one eighty the gap, that was like huge. Yeah, right. Definitely. So, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I used to when I would skate like go to you find a new gap, you get the Ollie, the front side one eighty, back one eighty, you try to run through all that stuff. Yeah, now it definitely seems like people are like double flipping things like right away and yeah. stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, well I also come from the mindset of land your trick like first try, right? So yeah. nowadays that's not it doesn't seem like that's the case. Like you know you're gonna battle a flip trick and go like 20 times down the stairs like i there's no way i could do that you know yeah that was the thing about manual tricks too is like 
a lot of times you have to sit there and just keep going. It's not like you're landing. It's hard to land manual tricks, really tech manual tricks. First try, you know, people yeah. do it. People do it nowadays though. You're like, the, you see it. Like, that was yeah. like done so fast. Yeah. Well, um, I will, I will touch base on that. Um, when I, when I first got sponsored, you know how like everything's new, right. And you just expect pros to land everything first try. At least that's what I thought. <laughs> and then um, I found out later, I heard a story that Rodney would spend hours, days, weeks trying one move. And that blew my mind. I never knew that. So then um, when I started doing certain technical manual tricks, I went with that same mindset of like, I'm only going to try that move for hours that day. Like, that's it, you know. Um, so it, it kind of has its advantages to do that, I guess. But but yeah, it does take a while to land some some tricks, you know. Yeah, I'm kind of like that a little bit with frontside flips on flat ground. I could, if oh, yeah. I can get them feeling right, I'll do them for like two hours just on flat ground because you're like, I don't want to stop this while it's working right, you know. Yeah, I love frontside flips. I'm not the best at them, but I love them. I'm the same. I feel exactly the same. Um, yeah. So, did you skate with your brother a lot? I did. Um, my my mom worked three jobs, and sometimes I'd only see her on the weekends. Uh, and we lived, we grew up kind of poor. Um, I I hate to say poor because some people live on the street, you know. Yeah. But um, we definitely didn't have a lot of money, so my mom worked a lot, and which basically means that like we weren't brought up normally. So um, we could stay up really late, watch whatever we wanted. And essentially what I'm really getting at is my brother and I used to, um, that Mark Gonzalez mentality where you would go skate the streets till three, four in the morning Oh yeah, and skate everything late at night. Cause it was just closed. Yeah. That's what we, did. so we would just stay out really late, uh, all the way up until I was 15, 16, we'd stay out till three, four in the mornings on the weekends and skate and then come home. Um, so yeah, we skated a lot and then. Um, I th think when I was right around 17, we slightly got our own kind of cruise and I started having like my own friends I skated with. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we did skate like a ton together. Yeah. I, um, can relate, dude. I grew up in a broken family. Like my father passed away when I was 12 and my mom had her issues and like, and if you don't have your dad around and it's a mom with two wild kids, you know, and like three, two, three jobs, like. It's hard to like that. That's not a whole unit, you know. It's hard to run a yeah. whole unit when you're when you're broken, you know. So, um, yeah. I, I'm similar. Like I would just stay out skating because it's just something to do besides craziness, you know. Yeah, I read I read some of your your interviews and I watched some of your videos and was just kind of listening to to your past and what you had to navigate through and you know a lot of skateboarders come from similar kind of backgrounds like that. But I, you know, obviously I agree with what your thoughts are on like um, skateboarders sometimes can can accomplish some really amazing things because they have to go through so much adversity to get there. Yeah. Right. So um, that's I guess that's like the positive side from growing up that way, you know. Yeah, I put a lot of my aggression into skateboarding, like a lot of my angst and anger, anger, I like put it into like skating you know just like i'm gonna yeah. fucking land this trick i don't care I, even some of my homies do that they'll just like 
that trick that day is their everything and they'll like almost be in tears if they didn't land it you know or even if they do land it <laughs> that's street skating was, for me i love street skating yeah when i was a kid i was a total dreamer like i would just dream about like doing special things like maybe uh one day being in the magazine or just dreaming about touring or dreaming about being friends with all the people in the industry i was a total freaking dreamer that's so um yeah like that like i don't i wasn't super like i didn't put a lot of angst into it but i was definitely like just diluted with dreams (laughs) i i can relate at times (laughs) it's once you realize it's almost like once you realize like um it's a good thing and you can be a part of it you want to explore it and do a lot of things you know like seems like you you looked up to other people that skated too that's when then people influence you too that you want to be a part of it you know yeah. Uh, what, what in San Antonio, when I grew up, there was a couple of people that I really liked. So this guy named Eddie, uh, he could do, um, he dressed super punk rock and it just, his look was so cool. I was enamored with him and he could do hand plants, dare I say better than Mike Vallelli. Like that's how good he was at hand plants. He could do every hand plant. It was insane. And he looked great doing it. And then uh, this other guy named Ezra that I skated with, who was also, incredible like those were two local guys that i looked up to and then obviously for skateboarding wise i think everyone's favorite skateboarder were were my favorite skateboarders you know like uh adam mcnatt and oh so good yeah, remember Jason. remember remember the 50 50 rail he nolly flipped out of oh yeah yeah yeah. that, that, was, that was insane 411 yeah, yeah that was crazy yeah, i like yeah, I like that. And I liked a lot of his his earlier parts, too. And then obviously, you know, I mentioned Chris Markovich and and then there was Jason Dill. And Ooh, then uh, Dill. you said Ray, too. Yeah. Jeremy. Jeremy's amazing as well. Yeah. Shiloh Greathouse. Um, and then I liked Jeremy Klein. I mean, crap. I liked everyone that everyone else liked at the time, too. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So. Um, but yeah. Anyway yeah that's sick that you gotta my brother skated too he's younger than me though but we gotta skate together that that always uh i don't see him that often now because he's in australia so we don't skate okay. as much but he still skates uh but it's it was sick growing up with a brother who skated you know it's like yeah. a cool, cool bond to have for sure it is um my brother's five years older than me so sometimes it it was a little bit weird because he was like my dad at times oh that makes sense yeah yeah and like so if i wanted to to do something different or experiment with something i always kind of had to worry about like well what's my brother gonna think you know versus him being like a year older than me and being a homie and we're just getting into the trouble together (laughs) it wasn't like that yeah so um you know it is what it is though yeah that's sometimes you gotta take on those roles you know yeah um let's go into um so you were growing up skating how'd you get your first sponsor or like how how'd that happen um well at when i was 17 at that time i was kind of down on my luck and um i just felt it was the right time for me to really try and make an effort to get sponsored um so then i i was like i had this bright idea of skating at a demo and i was like maybe they'll see me skate and like say hey 
you're good. Why don't you come to California? You know, that, that was like my, remember I said I was a dreamer. That yeah. was like my, I was trying to put that into fruition. Right. So, I mean, that's how it would happen. If you don't do anything, you got to come up with a game plan. If you want something to happen, <laughs> especially if you're in like, you know, San Antonio or some small town, like how else are you going to do it? You know? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Totally. Um, and by that time I had been skating for like almost 10 years and I had seen every video and I had learned every, every trick at that point in time. Um, I, cause I was lucky enough to where like when, imp when impossibles was like the thing. And then when pressure flips was the thing and then late shove it was the thing. So I learned all of those as time went on. Right. Yeah. Um, but um, foundation was the first company that rolled through and I skated at the demo and um, I never had a chance to, to mention this to Josh Beagle, but I didn't know any better. So I started skating at the demo and um, I didn't realize at the time, but they were on tour for like probably six weeks and were like deathly tired and running on E, right? So at the demo, they weren't skating very great. You're right. And then here I am skating a park that I know every nuance and crack, right? And I'm like the local park kid that's like doing, and I can at that point just do everything first try in a, in a in a lot right yeah so i did that thinking that they would be like wow this guy's really good let's let's hook him up and that didn't happen they actually i think josh got upset gathered the crew and they left and then i found out later that he he kind of hated me after that oh dude <laughs> yeah i was totally fucked up so josh if you're listening i'm sorry that's that wasn't my intention you know but, <laughs> you're, just, um, you're just overly hyped <laughs> yeah i just thought oh i'm gonna For show sure. my stuff you know <laughs> Yeah. So then, um, I would I love, home. I would love that dude. If I went to a place with a team and a demo and they're all tired and there was this one dude that was just killing it, I would, I, cause I MC events, I would have cheered yeah. you on. Cause I'd be like, he's carrying the weight right now. He's doing it. <laughs> doing yeah, the demo. But I, went <laughs> I get home it. And I went home that night and I, and I laid in my bed and I stared at my ceiling and I just, I thought about it and thought about it like for a long time. And, and, and then I had an answer. First, it was like, well, why were they upset? And then once I figured that out, then I came up with an answer. And I said, the next team that comes in town, I'm going to let them do their demo first. And then when they get tired and I can see like 45 minutes or an hour has gone by and they're starting to kind of like wind it down, yeah. then I'll start doing my thing. And that's what I did when Deluxe came through with the Antihero, Stereo, and Real. And Whoa, it was that's like epic. Yeah, a whole bunch of those guys. Lance Mountain was there. What? Uh, Bob Bernquist was there. I want to say uh, Heath, uh, Keith Huffnagel was there. Wow. Johnny Fonseca was there. There was a ton of people there. And um, anyway, it happened. Uh, the, the TM at the time gave me a, a card and was like, hey, you should come out to San Francisco and, and come skate with us. And then I think it was a few weeks later, I a month later i i went up there for like three weeks and shot and filmed and then flew back home on my birth on my 18th birthday but the three weeks i was there it's undescribable what it was really like it was really insane um but that's kind of how i got sponsored yeah that's you were up in like thrasherville but dude and all of deluxe you went up north to san francisco yeah. So what's funny is that um, 
I called the TM and, and I told him at the time, hey, I'm coming up. And he was just like, uh, okay. And then when I flew down there, it was kind of like, maybe at that moment, I realized that they didn't think I was maybe serious. Like when they gave me the card, cause I showed up and they're like, hey, what are we going to do with this kid? Like, where am I going to put him? Like, he's not on the team. We're not going to front a, a hotel for him. So then, um, they ended up um, having me stay with Theo Han for two weeks. And Theo didn't even know what to do with me. It was just like, hey, take care of this kid. And Theo was gracious enough to let me sleep on his couch at his place. Photographer? So was, what's up? Does uh, Theo shoot photos? Yeah, Theo Han shoots uh, photography. Uh, he's done a ton of photos of Penny and a bunch of other people. I've seen his um, photos. I've, I don't think yeah. I've ever met him, though. Yeah, he's definitely, you know, in my book, a legend for, for San Francisco photography. I mean, anyone in the in the in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s, he definitely photographed. Um, and what was crazy hanging out with him was I was there just to skate, like skate and destroy, seriously. And he was just like, OK, now we're going to go to the bars tonight and <laughs> Now let's go to the let's go to the uh, adrenaline house and hang out with uh, Jaya Bondarov and like um, Justin Strubing and all these people, right? So it was like a lot of that and a lot of just. And then when he did take me to spots, they were really like basic kind of kind of spots. And after two weeks um, of just basically getting to to see everyone and, and meet everyone. Uh, I went back to the TM at Deluxe and was like, hey, like, it's cool hanging out with Theo, but like, I really want to go out with your photographer. And it was, uh, they had Gabe Morford was their, their staff photographer. Yeah, Gabe's and awesome. This guy, this guy was uh, on another level in terms of his photography. Uh, he was very regiment, very strict. Um, he had a, a, a binder with, well, eventually, I think he got to a binder with like Polaroids and photographs that he could, you know, he knew where every spot was. He knew the times to skate him. He was a machine. And uh, so anyway, I went out for a week. We shot a ton of photos, uh, filmed, and then I went home. Um, and that's what, kind of what it was like at that time. But um, the one thing I do want to say was at that time in San Francisco, it, this is kind of weird to say, but imagine going to Hollywood and you're an actor and, and, and you see Brad Pitt and Angelina walking down the street. You see Tom Cruise eating at the cafe. You, you're like, they're like, hey, we're going to go to Kevin Bacon's house. And then you go to Kevin Bacon's house and it's like, like George Clooney's there and all these people are there. It was totally mind blowing in San Francisco at that time. Like I, like, um, uh, the TM at the time that was kind of helping me was Mickey uh, and Mickey at, was driving me around and I saw Mark Gonzalez and Jake Phelps just walking down the street. Right. And then I saw uh, Jaya Bondaroff skating in front of like uh, an equivalent to a Barnes and Noble grinding down a rail in the midday and all these people walking by. And I was just like, you know, my, I had rubber neck the whole time, just like, Whoa, like that's so-and-so and that's so-and-so. I was so overwhelmed and shocked. It was 
it was incredible. And the mindset they had, the, the skaters at the time, and I, I don't know, it was, I'm, I'm kind of speechless as to how I, how, how it really was, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm tingling thinking about it, but it was definitely like being at Disneyland. I just couldn't believe it. I, I can relate because I um went to SF when I was younger too, and I seen like I like saw Dennis Buznitz and like JT Alts and all these dudes, and just the whole I skated with Gabe too. Gabe is such the man, such the man. He's like uh, such a legend. I love Gabe. Um, but yeah, dude, culture shock. Cause you're just like, what? This has been, they have like a whole thing here for so long, you know, mm -hmm. it's epic to have that, that whole, that amount of skate culture in one area concentrated, you know, it's yeah. sick, man. It changed later, obviously, you know, by, by, by one and moving forward, the city really changed a ton, but you know, obviously the heydays was like EMB and, and Mike Carroll and, and, and Henry Sanchez and all those guys, Carl Watson. Um, and when I went, it was, it was definitely changing. That was at the time when like, you know, Ricky Oviola and Matt Reason and like uh, the Sub-Zero video was like really dominating and people were skating really big wheels and doing Smith grinds. Yes. You know? yeah, it just, had, it had changed, you know? And, you know, obviously Fred Gall was, uh his video parts you know were legendary you know skating on the east coast doing all those ledge tricks you know yeah i'm crust just skating in the east coast crust fucking sick man yeah that's that's epic man how long do you stay when do you have to go back from how long do you stay in sf and what where do i you stayed go for there? three weeks and on my birthday um i was told hey we're gonna make you an amateur on stereo so i got to spend half my day in san francisco on my birthday and that was like the best gift ever was being told like hey you're gonna be an amateur on the team and then i flew back home and um uh got to hang out with my friends that night for like the rest of my birthday That's so it. it was definitely a wicked wicked day you know stereo was in sf at that time yeah stereo was um done uh through chris pastris and jason lee and jason lee had went and did mall rats so by the time 96 was coming around he wasn't skateboarding that much anymore and then 97 came and you know 98 he definitely wasn't really skateboarding a lot he was just doing a lot of acting yeah but chris pastris was really still spearheading stereo skateboards and um you know it was greg hunt uh matt rodriguez uh, we had got ryan wilburn on the team and then for a short minute there we had dustin dolan on the team as well Same. and then um yeah and then um ethan fowler was was on the team um and ethan i want to say he won munster when he was 16 years old and he was like an old soul on a skateboard and, and he looked really good and powerful on a skateboard and just had this really flowy jazzy kind of style. Um, but, um, I've always loved that dude and he was super powerful on a board. And, um, so I was lucky to skate with him and, you know, all the, the rest of the guys as well. And then Greg later on went on to become like a really good cinematographer um even back then we saw glimpses of what he could do um 
he he once went into this like um building that had an elevator that went like really high up into the sky and then as he was going up he was recording and he was like zooming in or out as he was going up and it just created this really cool effect so that was like kind of like the first glimpse of seeing like oh this guy has a different eye on things do you know what i mean yeah he's um, definitely a legend yeah um i used to love skating his boards too so anyway, but yeah, so um, was was stereo part of deluxe or how did you link it was it started oh. through deluxe? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, and then later in, in the 2000s, they split apart and they went to giant and then from giant, they now it's just Chris does it separately. And Jason's still really involved with that. But it was stereo, antihero and real. Those were really the three companies. And then you had Spitfire and Thunder. And then Freedom Clothing was Dander Hobel's thing, and he was doing that through Deluxe as well. Yeah, Freedom as, was sick. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They had funny ads. I think I knew that Dustin Dolan was on. He was on Stereo for a little bit. I'm pretty sure I knew that because I believe, yeah. used to watch every video. I was I was a young kid on the East Coast, and we didn't have any skate industry. So much like you, probably in San Francisco at the time. And uh, I would just watch all the videos and magazines. My friend Dale would get all, all of them, the forum ones, everything we could get our hands on. This is before the internet, you know? Yeah. And uh, so we would just like study your guys' lives basically from on the other side of the country, like just connected oh, yeah. to like skate stuff. Yeah, Dustin was skating in Tampa and he was – there was two sides to Dustin. One was this incredible skateboarder that had kickflips on lock and he had like the fastest flick ever. Yeah. And he was really, his attitude shined through when he skated. Like he was down to bust and he was down to get the crowd into it and he was down to go big. And, and you can't overlook that, right? It was incredible. But then the other side of him to him was he was really like a Tasmanian devil off the board. He was totally... At 17, he was already drinking a ton and was completely out of his mind. But that was also an allure to him too, right? And I remember I had a conversation with the TM at the time and I said, hey, look, we were thinking about trying to find someone and, and that's how he got on the team was because it, it kind of came down to this. I said, hey, look, it basically comes down to this. If we don't if we don't grab him and put him on the team, somebody else will. And then we were just like, okay, screw it. Let's, 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 let's put him on. And, uh, and then, yeah, in terms of his history, I think he skated with the, the company for a couple of years, maybe. And then, but he was always friends with Reynolds and, and always going to, to Long Beach and skating with Sumner and all those guys. So even though he was on stereo, he was always skating with those guys when he visited California. Yeah. So the transition that he made from stereo to, which we now know as Baker, you know, and it was like, like the piss drunks originally, so the drinking yeah. Tasmanian devil lifestyle, dude. Yeah, <laughs> makes so sense. It all worked. Yeah, it all worked out. So. <laughs> yeah, that's sick, man. Um, so am for stereo. Are, do you move back home, or did you? Where did you go from there, dude? Um, I was gonna immediately move to San Francisco, and right when I was about to move, um, I rolled my ankle and really bad my right one and it it healed off it it healed crooked and at the time i didn't really think much about it 
Um, so I ended up staying in San Antonio for a whole year trying wow. to heal. And I didn't skate for six months. And then I started to skate. And then I went on tour with Stereo and Deluxe for a six-week tour around the entire United States and Canada. So it was wow. like a big old circle. And it was insane. I was like, I think the only one who stayed on the whole six-week tour. And we skated everywhere. It was incredible. Um, but I basically skated through my ankle pain that whole tour. Um, and in the beginning, it was my my ankle felt like a hot pocket and it hurt. And then by the end of the tour, I had just kind of muscled through it. And then I went back home. And then basically at 19, I decided to make the move um, to San Francisco. And then I just stayed there permanently at that time. But um, do you know what you did to your ankle? I basically tried to do a like a tray flip on a pyramid. And when I went to put my back foot on the tail, it was really strange. Instead of my back foot landing on the tail, it missed the tail entirely. So then I ended up sitting backwards on my foot and my foot rotated 90 degrees upward. Whoa. And I heard all this cracking and popping, but I went and got an x-ray and they're like, no, you didn't break any bones. But my ankle had like went completely I, maybe it was a little more than 90. Was, I don't know if it was full 180, but it really went bad. And then, so now it's healed and it's like slightly off and kind of angled upwards. So because it's, it's, it's off and, and angled, um, it throws the alignment off in my knee. So my knee kind of is on a, it torqued in all the time. So I have to like reset, I have to use my muscles in my foot to align it. And then my knee straightens out. But the problem with that is if you skate a lot and your muscles get tired, my knee could could go in again. And then I and then it just it's not like I took my ACL re tears or anything like that, but it'll it'll kind of go inward. And then um, and then I just can't skate. It hurts for a really long time. So, yeah. And that's yeah. that'll stem from the ankle for sure, man. Yeah. So four years later, um, after that, that was when I tore my ACL filming the reason part. So it took four years for my knee to finally give in from that ankle injury. But now it, 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 it it's always kind of a little tweaked because uh, I had the ACL surgery, you know? Yeah. I, I yeah. did my, I did my ACL too when I was younger. It's nothing. Mm. It's just a bitch. <laughs> it's a full mm -hmm. bitch, dude. And it's re it's like, uh, you just got to keep up with it, you know? I found like yeah. swimming and stretching and doing like aerobics and pool in the pool really helps. And saunas, yeah. saunas help for my joints and the knees. And um, I've done these float tanks where you just float mm. in salt water for like an hour. It's, oh, yeah. It helps everything relax and you're basically just soaking your joints in salt water for an hour with no gravity. It's so good. For I haven't life. done that, but salt is for sure good. Yeah, and you you float you can float for an hour or two. So just think about being in the middle of space with no gravity. You're just floating, and your everything stretches out, and you're soaking in salt for an hour or two. Like mm. it's so good for your body. I get out and I'm like, I feel years younger. It's amazing. I need to do that. But yeah, dealing with injuries, you know, like it I got really... a lot of gray hair. I'm getting old. Nice. You look distinguished. I got some a little bit. You know? Just starting a little bit. Don't know. Yeah. I was, another my, few years it's gonna it's gonna grow in here gonna have it here <laughs> this is the longest i've had my beard in a while like i usually shave it my girl was telling me to shave it today but this is like you're getting the show today you know <laughs> it looks good I like thank it. you 
Thank you. Thank you. Um, all right. So, well, we can't, maybe let's go, let's go to some of the notes here that I have. So, oh, you turn, let's talk. Cause you said turn pro for stereo 98. Yeah. Tell me more about stereo days. Um, well, um, they surprised me with the board. I didn't know they were going to turn me pro. It's just like, Hey, here's a board. And so I didn't really have any input on the graphic or the shape or anything. So that was kind of out of left field, but at the same time, it was, it was like, anytime someone tells you, Hey, we're turning you pro, that's gotta be like a big moment. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I was, I was on one hand felt weird about it. On the other hand, I was like, okay, but I have to be happy about this because this is what I wanted. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I ended up skating. I, man, maybe it was like a year being pro for them. It could have been less than a year, but, um, that was a telltale sign that they didn't really do things the standard way. In, in my mind, I thought they put you in a room and they'd say, Hey, we want to turn you pro. This is how many boards we want to make. We want your input on a shape and a graphic. And this is your royalty. Like none of that ever took place. And that was kind of like the MO for back then. Like that's how they just did things. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But then later, like after the year of them kind of running it like that, I guess it, it, it like came to a headway with me and me wanting to be a part of the, that distribution. So I ended up stopping skating for them professionally. I think almost like a year later. Damn. fast and quick right there like damn (laughs) yeah you know it's funny if i I could go back in time um you know i i always kind of take this back to like there's a moment where you you look back on your life and you and and it's not that you want to blame your upbringing right but when you when you don't have a dad or and your mom's working all the time and you don't have guidance and no one's really telling you how to do things you're really like this feral kind of thing. Like I didn't really have a proper upbringing. So obviously when I was faced with these radical decisions at 18, 19 years old, um, in my heart, I felt like I was making the right move because my heart was saying, hey, that's not right. You need to do this, right? But now that I'm older and I'm 44 and I've gone through all these experiences and, and have learned a lot, I realized then like, I, 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 if I could go back, I wouldn't make the same decisions. Right. And I wouldn't be so hasty. Um, to be honest with you, I, the way I was raised, I should have never been even in the position that I was in because <laughs> I just wasn't ready for it. I wasn't yeah. prepared for it. You know, maybe, maybe cause you were free though. You were able to go, you know, like so a lot of people will never get free of their like responsibilities to pursue it, you know? since you no, I know I mean I was I was definitely free to go do it but I just feel like um that gift that was that came to me I just wasn't ready for it to to receive it the correct way like an example um I can relate to that yeah sure. and and I think we kind of discussed this a little bit but like imagine being the new young kid on a team right and you're shooting Spitfire ads, Thunder ads, Lucky ads, stereo ads. You're going to Tampa, AM and whatever, and you're doing all these ads and videos. And then all of a sudden 
they're like paying you like 900 bucks, right? And you're like, that's pretty good. And I'm doing all this stuff. And then it jumps up to say 1100 bucks. And you're like, okay, this is good, right? But then you find out like some of the people that you grew up like idolizing are making $200 and $400 a month. And they're older. They might even have families, who knows? And here's this 19 year old kid on the team making that much. I was really mad about that. Like I, I was, I was mad that, that they were almost in a way paying me that much when I was just the new guy that was on the team for a year, year and a half or whatever, two years. And these guys have dedicated their lives to the company. But if I could go back in time, it almost seems like in my mind, I'm like, oh, I should have taken the money they gave me and figured out a way to disperse it. So everybody came up, you know what I mean? It's like, you I'm, know, sure you, I'm sure you were doing a lot of the work too. That's what happens. Like if someone comes in, they're creating all the content, you know? Well, I noticed too, a lot of the pros at the time, they didn't really want to go film and want to go shoot. So, you know, the, when I was photographing with Gabe, he was always free. So obviously I was like, I'm going to go shoot with him as much as I can. But then I found out later, I was like, man, if, you know, maybe if I was only making a couple of hundred dollars a month too, maybe I wouldn't want to either. I don't know, you know, yeah, sure. I don't really know, but um, that was kind of like where my, my head was at, at that time, you know? Um, yeah. But yeah, if I could go back, obviously I, 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 I wouldn't have been so hasty. Yeah, but you live, you learn, and that's still an epic part of the story, you know? <laughs> Such yeah, is life. Such is life. <laughs> yeah. What about all right, we're going we're moving forward. We're moving forward. Oh, you skated for Chapman too. Yeah, so basically a year after um I left stereo. I tried Wallenberg actually before the reason I tried it when I was on the stereo and I tweaked my knee out because of my foot, you know, and my knee kind of gave in or whatever. And I was out for nine months actually at that time. And um, I wasn't skateboarding. I wasn't in any mags. I wasn't doing anything. And when I quit stereo, I think at that time, like, I mean, I, I just hate this part of my history, but I feel like, things were kind of said about me at that time. And I had no way of defending myself. I was, again, I wasn't in videos. I wasn't out and about. So it just settled in like that. And that was just kind of, that was paved. So nine months goes by and then I, I start looking at getting some sponsors. And that's when I found out like all these crazy things were kind of said about me after I quit stereo. And it made it really difficult for me to find a sponsor yeah but then that's how i found chapman was because they were on the east coast greg was only making wood for z york and then he decided that he was going to do a board company so then i told him like everything that happened with me and he felt okay um i'm going to give you a chance let's do this right so then i ended up skating for chapman for a couple of years i think and um and that that's basically how i got on got on the team with them at that time that's awesome yeah i i know chapman they're awesome the brothers are awesome man i've bought yeah. board i've bought boards from them in the uh in the past yeah and i've been out there and visited them and checked out the shop and the the factory and stuff that's awesome well, dude. They, make the, they make the best boards 
Yeah, dude, that's I awesome. Think, um, yeah, they're good boards, man. Yeah, that's that's sick. Um, the ACL. Oh yeah, you're filming for Transworld video. That must have been sick. Was that how'd that one line up? How did you end up in the roster? Um, I got a call from Ty Evans. I guess he had heard about some of the stuff that I was doing in the city and just randomly was like, Hey, um, I'm skating with Paul Mack now and Gershon Mosley and all of these people. Do you want to go out and film? And I was just like, yeah, um, you know, let's do that. And then, um, you know, it was kind of weird because remember I was saying how I was out for nine months and then yeah. I started skating and then I was on Chapman. Well, for another like eight months went by, I wasn't filming, but I was skating every day, six hours a day. So I actually was kind of stockpiling all these moves that I hadn't filmed or shot. So when Ty got a hold of me, we filmed only, I think, like three times. And during that time, I filmed everything that was in my reason part plus more footage that he never even put in my part. Wow. Um, yeah. And then, um, so we, we shot a few times and then, um, and then this is going to sound crazy, but uh, I wasn't even supposed to be in the reason part. I was supposed to be in the video after that. And I was shooting to basically uh, have a full part in the next video. So what happened was in the reason if you look at my little video part, it's choppy and it's like, and it's like real choppy. Well, essentially he did that for the, um, for the, the movie theater screening and he didn't show any of my tricks being landed and it was just going to come up and be like Danny Gonzalez filming a video part for next trans world video. Oh, so it was supposed to be like a commercial yeah but then i called him and i was like oh i tore my acl and he's like well what do you want to do with this footage that's already in here should i add in the clips of you landing the tricks and what do you want to do with wallenberg do you want to release that now or do you want to wait a year for the next video to release it and at that time everyone was trying wallenberg to to be the first person to kickflip down the stairs this was before anyone was using ramps so everyone was like literally trying to run and jump down it which is very impossible to do that's why like 20 years went by and nobody had landed a kickflip you know I, I went to it when it had no nothing fixed it was fucking not it was big <laughs> Dude. it's impossible yeah. it was impossible that's how come like so many years went by of no one doing a flip trick you know even when when mark ollied it for the first time he opened the gate and bombed the hill and frontside grabbed ollie it. You know what I mean? To, to freaking hold on to it. That's so and I, I I did it the same way. I opened the fence. I bombed the hill, came down, and and um. Now, in terms of melon grab, that was just a trick I was really good at, and and so I would have done a, a backside grab no matter what. It's not like I did it specifically for Wallenberg. I was just like really good at that trick, yeah. and I just did it kind of like how Andrew's really good at frontside flips, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, a kickflip backside grab was something I did all the time. So I would have done it by, like that anyway. But anyway, um, that's how I hooked up with Ty. We ended up filming a lot of footage. And um, that's how the whole reason kind of came to be. And at that time, I was landing everything almost like first or second try for that for that whole part. You know what I mean? The Wallenberg was first try, right? Yeah. 
That's so. That must have been such a relief. <laughs> the bales, dude, on that thing. <laughs> it was, and it was because um, I had went to a doctor a couple of days before, and my ankle was bothering me, and I had a bone chip in it, and it was getting lodged in my joint. And he says, "Hey, we should surgically remove that, and you'll be out just for a few weeks, and you can keep skating." And I postponed that, and I was like, "No, nah, I'm filming a part right now. I'll do it after." And then, um. So I guess what I'm getting at is if I would have bailed that and landed on my foot, I would have been out. I would have been commissioned out. You know what I mean? Yeah, it had to be first so try. So I was relieved to land it first try. And essentially, if you look at that video and you see my face when I'm riding away and I'm kind of like this, that's me being in shock. Like, like did that just happen? Like, I didn't fall. I don't have to go through the the battle, you know, yeah, like, yeah. like I got so lucky. That's yeah, crazy. That first try on something like, especially that spot and that trick at that time, that was so gnarly, man. And to do it first try is insane. <laughs> well, I got lucky. I don't know. Legendary though. <laughs> um. All right. Moving right along, dude. Filmed the part for FTC. Yeah, some of it so in after, stereo footage. Yeah, so after I left um, stereo, I had stockpiled footage um, from the that I had filmed with stereo with random photographers. And Trevor, I want to say Trevor Prescott was um, the guy who was skating with all the time and filming, and he had filmed some of it. And FYI, too, like I just want to say this, um, but. Um, essentially I had all that footage at stereo. And when I ended up quitting, I ended up taking a lot of that footage that I had that I'd filmed with other people and dubbed it. So to make sure I had it, yeah. you know how, like when you leave a company, they're just going to, they're not going to give you the footage. They're yeah. like, you're out, like you're out, like you're not getting your footage back. So I had made sure that I got copies of it. So I basically used some of that footage and other footage for my FTC video part. And then, um, uh, like the uh, kickflip California street did uh, that was uh, filmed when I was skating for stereo and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I ended up doing that. And uh, you know, me and Trevor were really good friends. And then after I moved to California, I found out Trevor passed away. Super bummed on that. Um, but, but yeah, um, you know, it's kind of weird, you know, as much as I, 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 I'm, uh, happy to be in the FTC video. My heart really is still with like the first video, you know, first or second videos of FTC, you know, yeah. with, like, Daryl and those guys. That's like the heart of it for me, you know. Yeah, hell yeah, those are yeah. classics. It's sick yeah. to be part, be in it, part of it though. That's sick. It is, it is, but it's still like those other two videos were amazing. Yeah, I get that. I get that, dude. In the how so did you end up you got the acl fixed though right mm -hmm. nice good move so, solid move well when i got my my acl fixed i i i i didn't immediately go into surgery for three weeks i i let it heal and then after that i i was told to exercise my leg muscles which i did so before i went into surgery you would see me walking around riding a bike you wouldn't even think i have a torn acl yeah. Um, but I was told to strengthen the muscles first before you get cut. So then after I got cut, 
um, for nine months straight, I went for three days a week for three hour sessions. So they say after you tear an ACL, oh, six months, you're on your board. I didn't do that. I waited nine months and I and I didn't go for an hour or an hour and a half. I went for three hour sessions, three days a week. And at that time, I had a, a chiropractor and a physical therapist also too, and a physical trainer, all three of those three days a week for almost a year because I did it for nine months and then I got back on my board. So then um, uh, ar around that time, I, I kind of started filming for my Globe Opinion video part. And not only that, but I started filming for um, uh, logic, the logic video part that I had. I was filming for both of those at the same time. Um, after I after I had my my knee surgery, but but that's kind of like the timeline for that. Yeah, I, logic videos were sick. That's sick that you wrote for a Globe. So the knee recover, the knee's feeling good. The ankle's still kind of bummy, it's still hurting. The ankle never hurt. It's just offset. Oh, okay, and, okay. And and here's a crazy thing. Um, so one thing is, is um, right around that time, I'm still on Chapman. I'm still skating for Chapman. But at that time, I won best trick at Tampa. And then I got seventh place in the contest. And then um, at this point, I'm traveling all over the place, doing a ton of ads and photos and interviews. And the so dream, the dream really well. The dream. Yeah, the reason part did really well. Globe's like, hey, we're giving you a shoe now. And then um, shorties wanted to put me on their team and at the time, and I was like, no, nah, I don't want to, I don't want to leave Chapman. So then they ended up putting me on ghetto child and gave me a wheel. What? So I ended up doing that at the time. Um, and then um, around the time I was filming my opinion part and my, my logic part, this crazy peer pressure came over me because um, the filmer that was filming my logic part was like, Hey, they're going to fire me if you don't give me footage. Oh man. <laughs> and, Fuck. and, but when I say I was filming for the logic, I actually wasn't filming for logic. I was just filming with their photo their videographer at the time. And he was filming my globe part. Oh, uh, okay. And they found out he was spending all his time with me. They pressured him. And said, "Hey, Danny needs to give us footage because you're we're not paying you to film him for Globe." So then, I gave him like, dude, I gave him like half my stuff, and it was like the better stuff because uh -huh. in my mind I was like, I'm skating really well. I'm gonna go do everything better yeah, for this yeah. part. And then after I gave him the stuff, and they released the part. I screwed up big time because a I should have con I should have consult this is a learning thing too yeah. I should have consulted Globe the main guys at Globe um um and and told them the pressure that I was under because they could have made it gone away and yeah. I just didn't think about that I just thought oh I got to give them footage because my friend's gonna lose his job yeah that's so a shitty... I gave them the footage and then I ended up hurting my knee doing a frontside board slide for my 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 glow part and then i tweaked my knee and then um 
I had to uh, tell the Globe people, which we were on a deadline to finish the video in like a month or two. They postponed the whole video part because I tweaked my knee for like six months. Wow, that's heavy. That is heavy because, dude, um, it was Gershon, Rodney, Chet Thomas, and they postponed the video for me to heal up, which was like a really big thing. Anyway, um, this is kind of besides a point, but when I showed um, Gary, the the owner uh, at at Globe, the my logic part, he was pissed. Oh no! Like he watched it and then he got up and left the room. He was so mad at me, oh, and he man. was mad because in that video part, I described what it was like to come back from my surgery, and he wanted to do that with the Globe part, but I didn't know. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he was just really mad. Um, he was super mad. Like it, it, it still affects me just thinking about it. But he was really mad. And then, um, anyway, I got better. I finished my part. And um, one thing about my my Globe Opinion part was that um, we had to fill it with stuff because I was, my knee was still messed up. So if you look at that video part, like I'm kind of goofing off and I'm kind of showing more personality. Like that was kind of like planned because I couldn't really go hardcore shred. Yeah. So it's like, I've had people tell me, oh, I really like your video part. But in my mind, I don't like it that much because of that. And I bet you, you know, Gary probably feels the same way about it, but um it depends on what you're like, what you like in skating. Like sometimes to me, the goofing off antics segue stuff is like awesome. It gives a uh, flavors, the skater with a personality, you know, but then other times yeah. it's like, you just want raw gnarliness. And I know you, you're chomping at the bit to get all these tricks out. You're like, um, yeah. you're progressing skating for sure. At that time doing crazy stuff, man. I wanted to go raw for sure. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah. So, so that's kind of what happened with the, the the globe opinion part and 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 the logic part, and me coming back from my knee and all that. Um, um, and and we can go back, but actually, after I hurt my knee, I I told uh, Globe I was going to quit skateboarding, and they were like, they talked to me out of it and said, no, you got to finish filming your video part, and then you can quit. And, and by the way, we're going to give you a, a, a second shoot, even though you're not going to be skateboarding because oh I guess my name was at a certain point and they knew like if they made it, they, there was, they could still capitalize on, on making money for that. Yeah. So it was weird. So I came back, I filmed the part and then I stopped skateboarding. So when that video came out and my shoe was out, I wasn't skateboarding anymore. But no one knew that. Everyone thought I was just still skating. Like when you say stop skating, do you mean like for a sponsorship? Like you still skated, but just not for money or for. No, I stopped skateboarding and I I called all my sponsors and was like, hey, I'm I'm not going to be a professional anymore. So even though Gary was mad at me when I left, when he left the room, when I had my final discussion with him about quitting, we were in the room together and he was trying to convince me not to quit. And he was like, you have to still have so much more in you and you can change the way you skate. And again, making these decisions when I shouldn't have been, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. And um, full out crying in the room 
like just crying and crying and crying. But I told him that I was in pain and I didn't want to skate in pain and I didn't want to be 30 years old and in pain with nothing to really show for what I was doing. And that was like my mindset then. And then I called, you know, and then that it daisy chained. I called Split. I called Ghetto Child. Uh, whatever other sponsors I had at the time, I called all of them and was like, I'm, I'm not doing it anymore. So then five years went by of me, like not, not skating. What do you get into for five years? <laughs> Dude, for me, I just skate through the injury. Cause I was like, unhealthily addicted to skateboarding dude you're smarter than me to, <laughs> to make that decision. what did i do for five years yeah. um what did i do for five years well i i got a dui uh, oh, right man. around the time when i was filming my globe and my opinion part and when it, uh, when it rains it pours dude yeah i got a dui and i had was drinking like a fish for a year when i turned 21 right and this this girl Ashley that I know was I was good friends with. Um, uh, she was a Scientologist, right? So I was trying not to judge, but she was a Scientologist. And after my car wreck, she she said, "Hey, why don't you come do the purification program? It's like a thing where it helps you detox, like Betty Ford or whatever." Yeah. And I was like, "Yeah, like that sounds pretty cool, actually. Detox, get all the toxins out of your system." So I did that. So then once I did that, they kind of get your hooks into you, you know, at that point, the Scientologist, because they're like, hey, you feel great after that. If you like that, why don't you do this next thing? So I ended up daisy chaining, doing different courses there for like later on for that whole year. I think it went on for like 18 months. Wow. So after I quit skateboarding, I was doing that. So I was going and doing all these different courses. I had became friends with Barra and um was it was it helping you? Yeah, the the detox program was actually incredible. It's a 30-day thing and you go to to the celebrity center for 5 hours a day and you eat um a full salad, a full meal, you get 8 hours of sleep and they give you all these vitamins and peanut oil. Um but then they also give you like milligrams of niacin which increases your body heat over time and what happens is you go get in a sauna for that five hour period you do 20 minutes in five minutes out 20 minutes in and essentially what happens is your outside temperatures heat up and then your internal heats up and then all of a sudden you start to flush out because the niacin they give you they're increasing the the the, the milligrams and then all of a sudden you feel like a a flush happen after the five hours. And then at that point, you're good to go home. So imagine 30 days of that. You're getting eight hours of sleep. You're eating a big old salad every day. You're getting all these vitamins. Um, and then they're increasing your niacin all the way up to 10,000 milligrams. And then by the end of the 30 day cycle, you almost feel like a pop, like um, something happens where you feel like this is going to be hard to explain, but you, you kind of feel like you're new again. It's really weird. You know, like when you were 11 and 12 years old and summer hit yeah, and you got out of bed and the light was, the sun was out and you're just like, Bing! and you're like, I'm ready to go oh, versus yeah. being in your twenties and you're groggy and it's, you're achy and it's hard to get out of bed and 1 PM rolls by and, 
by three, you're kind of skating and then you're getting it in by four or five. Like that went away, man. It was like immediately I was like 12 again. It was incredible. Yeah. So that was so incredible that then they were like, hey, you should do this um, this other thing called um, the ups and downs. And it's basically like it, it's a scientific reason as to why people roller coaster in life, why things are great and why things are bad. And then you 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 go into that for a few weeks studying why you roller coaster. So it's not necessarily an applied belief like, hey, I'm I'm praying and I believe this is gonna happen and that's why things go well and things don't. It's like an applied science, like, like no, this is why this is happening. And really the 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 skinny of it is a lot of it has to do with like your in your your influences, your friends, your family, the the negatives that they're telling you and how you let that dictate you and that can cause issues or or past bad experiences, you know, like an example, um, you could be driving in traffic and all of a sudden you're thinking of this really negative thing that affected you and you start to feel shitty. And then next thing you know, you hit the car in front of you and you're like, fuck, I wasn't really in present time at that moment because I was thinking about that that negative thing. Yeah. So anyway, I was doing that. And then um I met a ton of celebrities through there. Um, Barra had invited me two years in a row to Bill Pullman's house uh, with Juliette Lewis. Tom Waits was there. Bill Pullman is the guy from Independence Day. He plays the presidents. And he's like, today, today is our Independence Day. You know that guy? Yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> Dude, he, he, Barra was like, hey, I'm going to my friend Bill's house come so i went and i'm walking up the driveway doo, 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 and it's dark and there's a light behind bill and i look up and he's tall you know and, and i see him and i go and he goes danny and i was like oh my god i was like dude you're freaking bill pullman <laughs> i've seen all your movies man and That's he's wild. like oh yeah steve didn't tell you <laughs> um so but wild. yeah yeah. Uh, so to go back to the Scientologist thing, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. a little bit. Um, I feel like a lot of people, maybe not everyone, but it definitely a stage in life where you're caught up in your emotions and you have stress and worry either about the past or the future. I think we distract ourselves from the present moment. A lot of people do, and now with the way the society's set up. There's so many distractions that can pull you out of your present moment. So I can see how that could help you. You know, if you were teaching people the basics of like just some controlling their emotions and their thoughts, like practicing Dude. how to like block out thoughts is sometimes a good idea. Like not all your thoughts are your own, you know? It's really helpful. It really is. The, 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 the pros about it is that you really learn about yourself and you really learn about other things. Another one was like the, 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 train objectives and trs trs and it's been a while it's been like 20 30 years or whatever but trs and objectives they're like these training routines they teach you how to um be comfortable in your own skin and confront people and deal with situations yeah uh, one of the things was you would get in a chair and you would sit in a chair and the other person would sit in the chair and you'd be this close to each other and you would stare at each other and just sit there and do nothing and just stare at each other and it's very uncomfortable at first. And then after a while, they could literally put Tom Cruise in front of you and it doesn't bother you. 
And then, and then that escalates until like, now you can verbally say things to each other to make you react. And it just kept doing that until one day, like, it doesn't matter what anyone says or who's in front of you. It like, doesn't affect you. Um, so that was another one. The The last straw for me was um, the key to life. It's basically, they give you these like five books and they're super thick and the key to life, it's basically communication, right? So in each book, it had hundreds of words and you learn the derivation and the definition of every single word for five books. It's like five encyclopedias, like the word of has got like 20 meanings, right? <laughs> and I'm sitting there reading and I'm doling, I'm like, you know how when you read and you get a misunderstood word and you start to doze off, that's because you, you're reading through things you don't quite fully know the definitions of. So as I'm studying, I'm like getting tired and I'm like, yo, this is, I didn't sign up for all this. Like I was good, like a few courses back. I'm, I'm good. I don't want to do this. You know what I mean? But yeah. The other thing that's crazy about Scientology is they have this e-meter. It's like a digital thing that looks like this with the needle that floats. It's not a lie detector, but you hold these cans. And essentially, they ask you questions and personal questions. Like, say, for example, um, they ask you a question about your childhood, maybe a, a situation you had with your mom that really scarred you. Well, as you're talking... The needle doesn't move, but then all of a sudden you say something that's a trigger that really triggers you. The needle just starts going. What? And then when they see that, they dig into that. They ask way more questions. And then all of a sudden the needle's just fluttering until like at some point in that conversation, there's a win. Like, like you feel better. And the needle just goes dead. But you feel it like leave your shoulders. It's totally bizarre. And what's, but here's the crazy thing they document that, put that in folders. So if you're there for 20 years, imagine you have a room full of folders and they have all this data on you that's personal. They know all your which triggers, is, which the, if you, people forget things fast and then you can get them again with all their triggers, you know? <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, but not only that, but if you want to leave, Oh yeah, it's so true. They yeah. can, if they wanted, they they have all this data on you, which is not necessarily good. The other negative thing that I didn't like about it is that um, they never really wanted to let you leave. It's always like, hey, if you like that, do this, and it all costs money. Yeah, and so it's like it never stops, right? Yeah. Um, so I'll I'll just say this to end it on the on the on the on the Scientology thing, um, but um, till this day. They still send me five to six things in the mail. Wow. Uh, um, every other day. And it's been 23 years. And they call me over, I have over two to 300 block numbers on my phone. And they call and text me still every single day. And it's been like 23 years. That's fucked up. And I've asked them multiple times, hey, please don't call me. Please stop mailing me stuff. And they don't. So they even called my father-in-law. My father-in-law was like, who is this? Yeah, I've, I've seen like a video and I know they use like intimidation tactics on people, which is fucked up. Religion can go yeah. way too, religions can go way too far. 
One last thing I'll say is that I think I said that a second ago, but um, that's okay. <laughs> I, one lady I spoke to, I said, why do you guys keep bugging me? Like, why? And they, they literally said this. They go, well, you're kind of an, anom an anomaly here. And I go, what does that mean? They're like, you just left. Like, you just left. And they were, like, perplexed. I was like, really? That, that's why you guys keep calling me? Maybe it reflects that. bad on them. Maybe they think it's like, he doesn't believe what we believe. <laughs> I don't know. I don't they know, should I they don't. should start worshiping you <laughs> in a good way. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> JK, JK. But uh, anyway, so yeah, that was the, I did that while I wasn't skateboarding, and then I studied acting. I did acting profusely for two years straight before I got an agent and a manager. I had Jason Lee's manager for a while, and I auditioned in front of every top casting director at the time, and I did a bunch of commercials, did some short films. And then I did a movie, um, which I don't want to say the name, but Luke Perry was in it. Say, um, that sounds yeah. awesome. Yeah. So then I did, so I studied for two years and then I did acting for two years. So all together, that was like a four year period. Um, and then also too, I did skate a little bit. Barra um, uh, blessed me with the key to his warehouse. So at late at night, I would go skate his warehouse late at night. That's sick. Um, and then, um, and then, yeah, so I did can that. I, can I say something here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had um, Barra, Steve Barra on the podcast, and I asked him about Scientology. And I think he was like, I think he thought I might have was like um, sabotaging him or making fun of him, you know? Yeah. So he got good. he got kind of defensive and didn't really, I think he just told me like, all he has to do is read a book or something. I have to go back and no listen. Way. Yeah. I'll say this I'll say this about Barra. But I felt bad because I, I like Barra. I like him business-wise and skating-wise. Like, I thought it was sick, the barracks and all that stuff. Like, I thought it was a cool idea, you know? Go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. well, I'll, I'll say this about about him. First off, I would call him the Bearska, like Muska. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <but> the Bearska. <laughs> That's awesome. Because you know, he's, he's a big deal, right? Hell yeah. Um, when you think of Steve Barra and you look at the, the foundation days, right? Like, he's a hero. You know, um, he deserves all the credit in the world for being a, a, a great uh, pioneer in skateboarding. And then also just a great pioneer business-wise, right, for partnering up with Eric and having the, the idea of doing an e-commerce site to, to put all those guys together. Um, you know, like, because in the beginning, the, the when the barracks was created, it was like, you, you got to see all the people you wanted to see. It was like Guy Mariano, right? And like all these other, young, the people you never really quite see, they were at the barracks. So obviously you wanted to see that. Um, the other thing about Barra, and and I just want to say this because I never had an opportunity to say it. Uh, you know, he was, he was uh, open arms with me, right? He was taking me out and to, to eat, you know, I, I was getting to meet his friends. Um, you know, and, and meet famous people too. Right. Um, that's a trip. Going, to con going to concerts and, and, and letting me skate the warehouse. Um, so, you know, I think I can see how he might be sensitive to talk about, you know, Scientology, but then at the same time, like, um, for me, he was, he, he was definitely open arms and, and I was just really, really grateful to to be his friend at that time, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. I just have the problem of like, 
when I talk to people, I'll just always, I always find like the dead end or the, I always end up finding out what they don't want to talk about somehow, you know, like it's like a gift and a curse. <laughs> and I, yeah. I honestly got defensive and I was looking at it more like a religion, not like, and I know all the gossip about it, but I still like, am just curious, you know? Yeah. I even the like, one... I know people get taboo even talking about Christianity, maybe not in California, yeah. but around here it's yeah. like, not an open it's not open in all circles you know yeah the one thing about scientology is is like there's these levels to it right and you're supposed to be clear like when you attain some certain level and i think he got to that level but i remember one day he got hurt in the park and uh he was screaming he hurt his ankle and he was screaming and it was kind of shocking and scary to see him like that and i wanted to go help him but everyone else that was skating at the park was like no leave him in there because he does that and that was like the one thing that i thought was different than what i thought scientologists were supposed to be the fact that he was screaming and, and being that way that's his skateboarder um, side <laughs> yeah it, it must have been but um you know that was kind of like one thing that 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 i noticed with him um uh he was definitely passionate you know what i mean <laughs> yeah passionate and angry but but anyway yeah um yeah yeah he just closed up on me but uh I still appreciate him coming on the podcast. I was like, this is sick. Cause I was, a, I love Steve bear. I remember the foundation footage, but I also even like the acting stuff and the, the birdhouse and the skits and just like, even his like part where he like made up street spots, like skate park street spots, you know, like I was just yeah. like this. I like a lot skating. of slack for that. I know he takes it. What I'm trying to say is like, he does take a lot of heat, but I still like him a fan of the Bearska, you know? <laughs> yeah. The Bearska. Yeah. Hey, he, the best backside flips in the business. Yeah. For real. Amen. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm glad you got out of Scientology too. Nothing against those guys. They can live their life, but that documentary is brutal, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. God. Sounds bad. Uh, all right. So, that was your that was your five years and it's a strange turn from where you were <laughs> it's straight from like magazines videos hanging out with scientologists and actors that's hilarious life yeah. is strange dude uh what yeah. about okay so you, how'd you get back skating again what pulled you back in where's the um i went i sold my car um, me and my uh, girlfriend at the time broke up and I decided to go to back to San Antonio and hung out with some friends here and kind of started skating more. And then I moved back to LA in 2005. And then I started hanging out with Siu Trin. Oh, Siu Trin is a, an amazing photographer, done a lot of work with trans world. And um, it was crazy because even at that age, there was so much that I was not good at like I would say things that could offend people like and me not know it and it was like he was like my friend but he was like my dad and he'd yell at me and he'd be like dude you don't say that why are you saying that why are you asking that question like why would you do that and I'd be like I, I don't know I just that was like what came into my mind so it was like weird it was like he was like my best friend but beyond that yeah and like he you know, he could affect how I, I really felt because I deeply cared about what he thought. But at the same time, he he 
also brought me around everywhere with him, which means that like at that time when I had quit stereo and, 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 and then there was this, the Thrasher skate and destroy video game. Like there was like a moment in time where like, like, I don't know if people really wanted to see me or hang out with me, or maybe they had some idea about me, but um, if you got to know me, you'd be like, ah, oh, who cares? So Sue uh, was one of those people and he started bringing me around and he started photographing me. And then eventually we ended up um, doing an interview and things like that. But that's how I kind of got back into skateboarding. That's sick. Right. Sue is the man. I've skated and shot photos with him in the past. It's mm -hmm. been, a, been a long time, been a long time though. Oh, dude. Mm -hmm. I'm dropping stuff once. He still skates too. Um, so I talked to him just, I think, yesterday actually. Did he shoot the? Did he shoot the cover on the ceiling? No, no, no. Janowski had the cover. Doing? Oh, he had the cover of that. Yeah, Wait, he had I the remember cover I... doing a switch kickflip down a on a double set in San Francisco down that. It's like a steep hill. A steep hill. Yeah, and it has a rail, and he did like a switch flip, and went down. I remember that double set, but I remember that photo, or was it probably the footage too, where you did the wall ride and you went on like upside down, basically, dude, on the roof. Yeah. So was... what happened? So what happened with that was Janowski had a pro spotlight, which was like a twenty pager, and also too his sponsor was paying like the mag every month. And yeah. when I did my ceiling ride, I had no sponsors at the time. So no one, no one was paying the mag. And also too, I didn't have a pro spotlight. They were just letting me have an interview. Yeah. So it really came down to like, we can't give you the cover. Like we have to give it to our main pro who has the pro spotlight, you know, that's got 20 pages and their, their brand is paying. It just makes sense. Right. They wouldn't yeah. just give it to, to me. No, that makes so perfect I, sense. Yeah. So I, in the interview, I had like a two-page spread of the of the trick. Dude, that trick was insane. That was the first time I ever seen it. I think I've seen it. Maybe someone else has done it once or twice, maybe after, but not on that same spot. But at that time, that was like the only time I ever saw that dude. That was insane. I just assumed yeah. it. Was, I just assumed it was a cover because it was so gnarly, dude. There was a few things well, you did like that that were like. Whew. Transworld came out actually in their 25th anniversary issue and wrote a little blurb and they said that they got more slack from not <laughs> running that as a cover than any other photo and and they admitted to dropping the ball on that. Oh damn that's <laughs> that's awesome. They're class yeah. X dude, class X. <laughs> yeah. That's fucking awesome, man. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um I know you worked you said you worked at Apple. How how did you get into there? Or what did you do there? Man, when you're when you're sponsored young and and I had money from skateboarding for that year, year and a half I was on Globe. So I didn't have a regular job for years after that. That's so awesome. I, I had to get a regular job around 06 to 07. So um it was demeaning actually. I, I cried quite a bit when I got my first regular job because I didn't go to college, didn't have a degree, didn't know what to do. And I had picked up golf around that time. And that's what I would do on my spare time if I wasn't acting. So I got a job at Sports Chalet. 
So I'd wear the red shirt tucked in with the lanyard and I would just like head up the golf department and tell people about the equipment and clothing and the balls and stuff. And then um, eventually that led, you know, one job to another. And then I ended up working at Apple. And the reason why I worked at Apple was because um, when I was working at a bike shop, this guy came in all tatted, tatted, emo. And I was like, where does this guy get a job? Like, where does he work if he's all tatted? And he goes, oh, I work at Apple. And I go, Apple? And this was at the time when the iPhone was first being announced, the first touchscreen device. Yeah. So Steve Jobs was like, and the iPhone was like a big deal. And I found out he worked at Apple. And I was like, you work at Apple? I was like, <laughs> how? Like, like, what do you do, you know? And he's like, oh, I'm a teacher. I was like, you're a teacher? I was like, what? I was like, they hired you and you're all tatted and you look crazy. And he's like, yeah, I work there. And then, so I went down there and I looked at everyone else and like the diversity was insane. They had every culture. Uh, they weren't biased to sexual preferences or anything. It was just like, I want to work here. This is where I want to work. So then I went and I interviewed and then they gave me a position. And at the time I got hired, I didn't know anything about computers. I mean, nothing. Wow. I didn't know anything. And so the learning curve there was difficult, like really difficult. But anyway, that's how I started. And then um, I met my wife and then we got married and I was having my first kid and I wasn't skateboarding anymore. And I, and I stopped acting because... Um, I ran out of money and I didn't want to wait tables at night so I could be free during the day to audition. I just did not want to do that. So I was like, okay, I'm done with the acting. So then I just went full bore with, with Apple and I worked at Apple for 11 years. And, uh, but yeah, that's how I, that's how I got into Apple. What'd you end up doing there? Um, I was just a regular salesperson part-time. They asked me to go full-time. I said, no. And then, um, I moved to San Diego, transferred, and then when we were having my first kid, then I went full time and then I transferred to another store and then I became an expert. And then um, an expert is just basically a glorified person. That's like a salesperson, but they're really at the top of the chain. Oh. And then I like kind of help uh, people below me, help their metrics get better. Um, I kind of get graded on how they do, how they perform. Uh, and then I just did that for a while. And then um, uh, I, I went crazy, dude. I just went absolutely crazy working there because imagine taking uh, like Nikki Six from Motley Crue or some feral, insane person who only knows touring and they don't say the right things and then putting them in an Apple store and they have to be like, hello, sir, how are you? How can I help you? And, and, and being like this Stepford wife type of attitude, you know, it was really difficult for me. And um, I put my foot in my mouth tons of times, like saying things on accident to customers and like <laughs> not getting fired, like unknowingly doing things. Um, but eventually I learned. So Apple's a really big reason as to why like communication wise people skills wise i was able to change and shift uh, yeah dealing with, yeah dealing with the publics trying to explain all the technologies and all everything learning all of that yeah just human just human communication in general and then they have like these really thick books on like 
um, uh, like words that have these definitions of, of different body language and dude, it was just crazy. So, but anyway, but yeah, that's, that's kind of my Apple story. Yeah. That's sick, man. When I, uh, I was sponsored for a while and then, uh, the recession happened and I lost my paycheck and I got a job first bouncing tires, like off of like big, big ass, uh, semi big ass trucks that you pull all the tires off and have to bounce them and stack them on pallets and stuff that was fucking intense because i'm not like the biggest dude you know and i'm catching like big ass tires and trying to like throw them up stack them and stuff i was like yeah. i got kind That's of ripped. yeah it's just brutal uh manual labor and then i got a job uh screen printing too uh, well, I, I was just catching. I wasn't actually screen printing. I was catching all the clo other people's brands and boxing them up. And eventually, like, do it. You move around the warehouse and learn a little bit of everything. You know. Um, Is that what you're doing now? Uh, right now, I uh, I I have a warehouse space where uh, it's out of that place. ESP Solutions. Nice. Yeah. That's cool. And I like rent a corner out of the space, and I have uh, my skateboard company. All I need, and I um, also uh distribute world industries too oh wow yeah so we've been bringing back new art my friend is pro for world right now which is fucking awesome this kid kevin that grew up uh out here in massachusetts just a legendary dude him and his family helped me out when i started all i need his mom had a skate shop they were like one of the first shops to carry all i need uh t-shirts and kevin was just this little kid and i just kept in touch with him and now he's pro for world shredding that's good. Yeah. I, I think I told you I almost skated for world, but I didn't, but yeah. Yeah. How was, tell me, tell me about that. Um, it just almost happened and, and I changed my mind. <laughs> I, I ended up leaving stereo because, uh, the opportunity world was going to give me was just so, so huge. And I had a chat with Greg about it and they were like, okay, you know, you know, go for it. Um, and then I just didn't do it because, the, the person who was trying to get me to do it quit, the CEO quit, and the TM quit. Oh, man. And I guess they were going to hire a new CEO who worked at Huffy Bikes and basically like chopped up the company and then like was selling it. Uh, he was one, he was known to do that, like chop up, like not, I guess you wouldn't say chop up the company, but he was known to to sell the products to like, walmarts and kmarts and things like that yeah and when i realized like oh like the three people who want who were there are not there and now they're gonna go in that direction i didn't do it so, yeah yeah i didn't do it but but yeah i i uh world turned me pro then i first they're the gave me my first pro board and when i ended up riding for him it was because uh charlie thomas and rp yeah. best were working there and they were just legends, you know, like Charlie's the raddest human and RP, the nicest dude, you know, and he used to work for Duff's and uh, yeah. that's what like convinced me to end up riding for them because they weren't even like cool then because it was after all that Walmart stuff, you know, and those guys were trying yeah. to bring bring back world, you know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, those guys blessed me with that. That was. Well, I think world is is it's a it's a great accomplishment to have a pro board through them. You know, uh, world industries is, is, you know, my book, they're, they're huge, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I don't mean huge as in like 
a big profitable company, but just the history that they have. 30 years of just like awesome. There's yeah. so many people that have been involved yeah. with it. It's insane. It's quite the legacy, yeah. dude. World yeah, so just never ends. Proud of it for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I was really stoked that uh, they were wanting to bring it back. Like Andrew Cannon was super hyped on it and I loved it. I love Andrew and uh, Mike Franklin was involved and uh, we just built like a sick squad and we were... The way we were able to do it was we were selling like footwear to like um, these family chain stores across the Midwest. Basically, they buy world footwear, you know, and that would help fund the skate programs because we were trying to like get the decks going and different core shops. And they were really proactive doing cool stuff. Like we did a nice. keep a keep a breast collab with World Shoes. That was like really cool. We did like a lot of really fun stuff. I mean, we got a tour a lot because of that. It was like. Eight, I think I wrote for him for like eight years. It was like the best time for sure, man. I didn't know that. That's a long time. Yeah, it was a long time for sure. Those guys were the best. They like uh, knew all I wanted. I was kind of like you. I just wanted to film and skate and stack content. Like my whole life was just battling tricks and trying to do things I didn't think I could do. And like, I'm a bit of a dreamer too, bro. <laughs> yeah, I was bro. watching some of your videos. I think you had really good flick. I like your nollie flips. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Worked on them for hours for sure on, <laughs> on flat ground for days and days. Skating for me yeah. was like therapy too because that's how I worked through all my fa my broken family issues was I just skated a lot and then I met a lot of cool people through skating that like helped fill those missing characters in my life and like kind of like skating helped make me whole again because of the whole more than just the tricks you know like just the yeah. that's that side of skating like rp and charlie helped me out a lot those guys were so cool i'd be lost are without you, those are you still like skating a lot i am yeah. but i am but i do have like my knee i, I tore my acl and i never got it fixed so i just muscled uh. i muscled through it and uh I can still skate, but like, I'm not, I don't want to jump down big stuff, you know, like oh, I, yeah, yeah. I got to pick and ch yeah, I pick and choose what I want to do, but like I run, you know, all I need in world. And then I have this, I bought a minivan just cause I was like, want, forced me to go on more skate trips. And I, you, I teach skateboard lessons. I used to take, teach them more than I do now, but, um, all my skateboard lessons, they all got really good and they're like my flow team. So I take them all in the van. We go to new skate parks. I end up being yeah, the awesome. film. Yeah, I do a lot of the filming and driving these days. And I'll try to get a trick in if the hype's right and they egg me on, you know? But yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm mostly well, like. man, I think that's the dream. You're living the dream. Oh, fuck yeah, man. I was in the warehouse all day today pressing skateboards, like pressing the graphics on skateboards and boxing stuff up and processing orders and like running a skateboard brand and uh then i have like two skate teams basically i have a flow team and then i have pros on my team and then i have like one am and he's he's never been he's never been a part of a video premiere like had a part in a video so like he sparked to do that so i was like that's how we're gonna make the next video it's like jacob's got to work on a gnarly part and then everyone else can build around that you know so that's what we're working awesome. on now yeah i'm that's fully I'm fully submerged in skating, but I just have to pick and choose. And like, I can't skate as much as I'd like, you know, cause I don't want to destroy myself or have like some gnarly injury, <laughs> but I take care of my body and I eat well. And like, I, I smoke weed to, for pain management occasionally <laughs> keeps yeah. me loose a little bit. You know, <laughs> I used to smoke a lot. I don't anymore. Um, but the last few years at Apple, I did cause I was trying to maintain 
but yeah. it's been a it's been a couple of years i don't i don't do it anymore but yeah yeah i feel like the goal is to be like if i feel like the goal in life is to be okay with just being sober and in your present moment in your present life mm-hmm. and if you can do that then then i could enjoy drugs because like when i was younger i stayed away from weed and alcohol because i like saw people that were train wrecks so i was like scared to do it and i was emotionally unstable and just had my own i didn't have my thoughts under control so that that would have amplified it so much so for so long in my life i denied all that stuff and then Mm. uh when i got a little older when i was like mid 20s no maybe even closer to 30 i started smoking weed because i had vertigo and it fucked me up so bad and it just lingered oh, yeah, for, yeah, yeah. for like that. six months yeah and then my friend was like smoke a little weed and then it did exactly what you were describing where it was like the they wiped the lens off and everything was vibrant again because i had this like six months haze of just having vertigo and not being able to do shit and then i smoked a little weed just a little bit and it like everything got like super hd and they wiped the lens and i felt like I beat it because of that, you know, it was at the tail end, but it just, it's one of those things that just, if you've ever had it, it just lingers like a concussion. It just lingers and lingers and lingers. And you're like, is this ever going to go away? When will I ever be a hundred percent, you know? And then I got into smoking weed and now I like tie, I dialed it back a lot. I just, if I podcast or if I skate and then you just gotta have moderation, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, I've never had vertigo, but, when I did do it, it did help me too. And it helped me, um, through, through the stress that I was having, just, uh, you know, just trying to be a father and, and, and keep a full-time job and, and, and be a good husband. And it was like, just all that pressure, but it totally helped until one day I, I, I realized, oh, I have to chill out on it. Cause I was doing it for a few years, you know? Yeah. Sometimes you get lazy or sloppy or it becomes a crutch for your mood for your mood same with even coffee i like i managed to cut coffee out for the most part i used to drink coffee every day is just like my routine to like and then i realized when i stopped having coffee uh, caffeine or coffees just for one day i'd have these horrible headaches for like three days when i try to kick it and i'm like that can't be good so now i only drink coffee like once a week if i remember to get like if i'm at cracker barrel basically i'll get like a hot coffee you know yeah. That that was like a crutch for me. Just like weed can become a crutch. Even being just sober all the time can be too much of a crutch. Like, because c- then you could just not be able to relate to most of the world that's not always sober. You know, like if you're just always in yeah. a box, you're like, I'm in a box and I can't relate to anyone. That can't yeah. be good for you either. Like having different perspectives is good. Be able to look mm-hmm. at things. There's nothing. Yeah. Yeah, and drinking, I never, like, I drank a little bit, but I never got too out of control with drinking, which I'm lucky, because that one gets people. Yeah, I was out of control when I was 21, for sure. I was fully out of control. But, you know, that was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, totally, man. Um, All right, let's go back to this. Dude, it's already almost nine o'clock. All right, I'm gonna we're gonna do a little more, and then uh, we're gonna have to do a part two for sure. If you're down, yeah, man, I'm almost thinking like we need to just do it, and we need to scratch this whole thing and do a whole another one and start from the beginning because I feel like I need to figure out a way to like condense my answers. <laughs> oh no, this is perfect podcast. This is <laughs> this was amazing. 
this is just we have to do a part two because it's like uh there's a lot to the story you know yeah, um, i'm gonna get three word answers from here on out keep and, it short and we should do a podcast where we don't even talk about skateboarding because i could talk to you about pretty much anything <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah that podcast right, what, what, what other love, questions do you have what, what do you want to do all right. I love podcasts because it's like I listen to a lot of them when I'm like pressing decks and stuff like comedians yeah. are like some of my best friends and all they're talking oh, about yeah, is yeah, dick yeah. jokes. You know, I'm like, this guy's hilarious. Um, OK, so you have two kids, you said, right? Yeah, that's amazing, man. Congrats. That's so cool. They're nine, nine and eleven uh, Phoenix and Alistair. Those are their names. Those are awesome names, dude. Yeah, that's yeah. so cool. Do they skate at all? Mm -mm. No skating. No, nah, they're just like they're just like doing their own thing. Uh, Phoenix loves to read a lot. Um, they play Legos. They play Switches. Uh, that's pretty much it. I mean, they don't. I, they've had skateboards and bikes. They just don't really care. Yeah. The maybe yeah. maybe at some point they'll be like get on it. You know who knows. Yeah, I don't even know. Uh, my my goal as a dad is just to whatever they end up falling in love with and want to do it all the time. Like I got to figure out a way to support that habit for them, whatever that is. I have no idea. They're they're still too young. So like right now, like um, you know, they 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 like Legos. So like here's like some Tron Legos that they built recently that they got for Christmas. Um, That's these sick. Are, these are really sick. Um, and then as you can see, I got the DeLorean back there. Um, I got Mandalorian, uh, DeLorean, Mandalorian. That's funny. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so, um, they're really into Legos and, uh, I love chess. I got my chess board right here. I absolutely yeah. love chess. I, I play it all the time on my phone, but, but anyway, yeah. So that's, what's up with the kids. That's awesome. Yeah. Hopefully they'll find something and you can kind of like maybe walk them through it like someone should have done for you is skateboarding, you know? Like you could be the supportive oh, yeah. person for them, you know? Well, I'm already like, so so kids, these are stocks. This is what stocks <laughs> mean, you know? Nice. Or it's like, um, so, you know, you can write your own book now. Um, we have this app, you know? So it's like, dude, I'm, I'm like trying to, hey, do you want to learn to code? You could make your own game. Like They're like, yeah. no, dad. <laughs> The, at some point they'll get interested man they're too young <laughs> yeah um all right so let's see oh uh you got to skate with bastion and jarred a lot How, how'd you line that one up um my friend tim martinez i don't know how he connected with them that company's from spain yeah he was just like hey like these guys kind of are into your skating do you want to go skate with them and i said yeah and this was in 2009 when I kind of came back skating again because it was like 07 and 09 after the ceiling ride or whatever. Um, so I, they just put me on the team and, and, and Bastion was on the team. And then I got to kind of skate with Bastion and kind of pick his brain a little bit about like, I kind of overheard him talking a little bit about flip and, and stuff like that. Uh, nothing that I can really remember. Um, but you know, every, every skateboarder has a story or, or something that, that is deep for them and that they're expressing. So, and I could tell that was like a, a moment for him when he was talking about it in the van or whatever, but I don't have specific details on it, but anyway, um, yeah, we became friends and, um, uh, uh, 
I know I, I hit him up on Instagram sometimes and I've seen him play guitar live and he is so, so good at guitar. It's unbelievable. That's unbelievably good. Uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan's his favorite guitar player. Um, But yeah, it was, it was interesting skating with him. I mean, um, for me personally, my knee didn't feel right. So when I skated, it was like, I was a shell of myself, but when I would go to spots with him, he was very, very like, uh, like he'd stay in the van if we were at a spot, but then like, if he wanted to do something, he would go out and he would do it. And then you just go back in the van. Like, <laughs> like it wasn't like he'd skate the spot, get warmed up, do tricks, skate around. And then we'd all get back in the van. He was just super methodical. Like, Whoa. okay, like, I, I want to, you know, double flip front board this handrail. He'd get out of the van and then he would go do it and then just do it and then go back in the van and just wait for us. That's fucking wild. <laughs> yeah. He didn't care. He's... I was totally fine, you know? Yeah. Was he just in his own world, maybe? No, I don't even think it was that. I just think uh, he 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 just knew what he wanted, you know? Like, yeah. he just wanted to chill and relax. And who knows, maybe he had his phone or or a headset and he was just really wanted to hear that while the, and he didn't mind letting us go skate. Cause to be honest with you, he was that good that he could do that where yeah. he knew like all of us, we needed to like dick around for a while, yeah. you know, and have I our time really. to film and shoot. And if he was there, he would probably take that attention. So I look at it like more from that perspective, like he was helping us, you know? Yeah, yeah. I can relate to needing warm-ups nowadays, dude. It's like an hour yeah. warm-up before I can ollie, basically. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Me too. Hey, when's the last time you skated? Months ago. Maybe maybe a few months ago. I, I tried to do a um, a switch 180, a switch nollie, or a nollie 180 to switch back 50-50 on a ledge. And I landed with my knees a little like straight on yeah. the ledge. And because of that, it pitched me. And when I was in the air, I tried to catch myself and I tried to put my hand on the ledge, missed the ledge. Uh, and like, I think I literally fractured these like two, two bones right here. Oh, uh, dude. And it was insane. Like I stood up and I was seeing white flies. Then my vision went completely white. I was blind for a minute. And then my legs got weak and I couldn't stand and I had to sit. I literally thought I was going to have a heart attack. Oh, gnarly. And the, the guy next to me was like, Hey, are you okay? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, I don't think so. I was like, I feel really weird. And he's like, bro, let me get you some water. <laughs> Just give me some water. So he gave me water. And then all of a sudden my vision came back and my legs, but I was like shaking Oh, and I still no. had to drive home and I was just standing there while everyone was skating. And I was like, yeah, I don't think I can skate anymore. And then like, I was like, I think I got to go home. <laughs> and I got in the car and I drove, but it was like super sketchy driving home. Like it, I, I shouldn't have drove. Yeah, dude. Brutal. That was the last time I skated. And then before that, I randomly filmed a, a crooked grind nollie flip out and filmed it really quick. My brother filmed it 
And that was like a complete like freak accident because when I was in California, I was trying to learn that trick. And I tried it probably five different sessions, tried it for an hour each time and could never land it. But then I filmed it with my brother and probably like a few tries. And, and if you watch the video on my Instagram, I make this space afterwards, but it's literally because I'm shocked that I did it because I had tried it so many times before never did it. That's um, yeah, but anyway, that, that's pretty much it. I, I'll always roll around and skate. I just, uh, I'm waiting for my hand to heal. Yeah. You're going to have to skate some mini ramp, dude. Mini ramp's the key. Skate from the that bottom. That scares me, dude. Mini scares me. Even, you got to start on a small one, like a four foot, and just start from the bottom, pump your way up, you know? I'm not a fish in water on a ramp. I'm purely street. So on a ramp, I'm like 50-50, tail slide front 50 50 blunt fakey and anything after that i have to skate the ramp every day for like a few weeks like every day to get really comfortable and then i'll just start to open up on it yeah but yeah so anyway i don't know i live near this skate park it's called skater's edge and it's um it's probably the most sickest park in the northeast for sure and it's thirty thousand square foot indoor park and it's basically like three parks in one Mm -hmm. I, I go there and I can just for my warm up, I just walk in the door, I go left and I skate down the hallway and I go all the way down back. I go over the A-frame, kick turn, then I come back over the A-frame, all the way down the hallway, get straight away down the fucking skate park, fast as I can go, carve out. Then you go out into the big section and it's like hips and quarter pipes and pyramids. I don't even have to do one trick. I can skate around that place for a half an hour before I've even ollied. It's like the best warm up. That's like some days I just go do that because I'm like, I can't even really ollie. My legs are too tired from working and whatnot. But or yeah. or what's cool about it, too, is that especially in the winter, because we get gnarly winters, although this winter has been pretty nice. Um, you go there and there's so many people because I'm in New England. So it's all these states are so close and everyone comes from different states. So I go and I'll just watch like so many different styles of skaters and approaches. And like you could just go there and watch people skate for hours. It's the fucking mm -hmm. best. I do a lot yeah. of that because I'm trying not to skate. So I'll just go watch or film sniper angles, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Distract well, myself. That sounds fun. Yeah. That sounds fun. You distract yourself from actually skating by just watching skating in person. It's the best, yeah. man. Hell yeah, Danny. Well, thanks for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. This was awesome. I'm really stoked that uh, I got to meet you. And I always loved your skating. So just like, and I saw what you did in skating, like, we, I went to SF too when I was younger and I met those guys and it might've been after you, you know? So like, um, I saw what you did in skating. It was fucking, you put your thumbprint right on it, man. So I hope you're proud of that. Cause, uh, made an impact on me, man. Man, I, I appreciate you and I appreciate you, you know, wanting to chat with me for your podcast, all I need podcast. And, um, thanks to, you know, Tim McKinney for setting this up. Uh, me and me and Tim go way back. Oh, I love the guy. Tim's the man. And he wanted me to ask you, he wanted me to ask you okay. something. All right. I have yeah, it. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to forget. He said, ask him what happened with his stomach. If it's the same thing, Chico went to Nicaragua to get <laughs> surgery for always wanted to know. Yeah. <laughs> Right when you so, thought it was over, we're back, baby. <laughs> oh, man. So when I was seven days old, uh, I was regurgitating my food. I was basically blue. And my mom took me to 
a ton of doctors. And finally, one doctor figured out that I wasn't processing my food. So they had to make an incision across my stomach and it went as a baby and went all the way through the front and it even almost went around to the backside. They had to completely open up my intestines and they found that my intestines was tied up and it was basically knotted. So they had to unknot it. And then basically from there forward, I could swallow my food and it could process out. But when they did my stitching, they stitched it super crazy because this was like 1978, bro. It was like the stitch was like a freaking football stitch on, oh my God. on a baby. So now, like, if you look at my stomach, it's like the scar is probably like this long and it's got these dots, right? And um, so, and just to kind of finish up there, I remember I used to walk around the neighborhood when I was like six years old and my shirt was off and all the other kids' were, shirts were off. And my mom one day pulled me aside and this is one of those scarring moments, you know, and, and she unknowingly did this, but she's like, hey, why do you have your shirt off? And I go, everyone has their shirt off. It's, it's hot outside. She's like, yeah, but you're different. And I go, well, what do you mean? She, you know, you're, you have a scar on your stomach. And I go, yeah, I know. She goes, but you're different. You, you should have a shirt on because so people don't see your scar. And it changed my mindset. So all the way up and through high school, I didn't let anybody see the scar on my stomach because I was totally ashamed of it. And then when I turned 19 and I, or 18 and I was sponsored, I wanted to get a tattoo to cover it. And I got, um, this is just dumb. I, I, I wish I didn't have or wouldn't have done this but i i i i was like well what am i gonna tattoo that's i'm not gonna get old of you know like i can't put a dragon because one day i'm gonna get tired of their dragon <laughs> so i was like oh i got it i'll put my last name that's never gonna change <laughs> so i did my last name across the scar and then i did it in the thrasher font because um you know thrasher is just like a, a ginormous staple in skateboarding and it's just like go hard, skate, destroy, you know. So love Thrasher did that, put it on there, and so that's really the answer as to my scar. Um, and other than that, I, I just want to say, um, you know, some people were like, "Oh, you should tell people you got like bit by a shark." Um, and I and I'll say one more thing about it. This photographer Jeff Kula was doing a Big Brother interview with me. And when we were done, I guess like Thrasher, uh, sorry, Big Brother magazine said they wanted a photo of my scar with my name on it. Um, I guess they wanted to run that as like the main photo. And I was anti against it. Like I told him so many times, no, 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 no. And one day we were at the beach and he's like, again, this is a young person just getting, you know, the wool pulling over his eyes or whatever but he's like come on just one photo just one photo and i was like fine one photo and we took like so many other photos for a cover uh, a cover shot and yeah. that one photo they ended up running for the big brother spread and i hate it till this day because it's just one big photo of me standing there with the camera looking up and i'm looking down at the camera and you see my 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 name and my belly and all that 
And till this day, like, hey, that was not my freaking idea. I freaking <laughs> it. it sounds kind of so sick. I'm gonna not gonna lie, that sounds kind of sick to me. Thrasher font, your last name. You're standing there chilling. <laughs> Scar, well, some people told, some people told me that. Some people told me that after you know, they they saw it. Just like the the opinion, they're like, oh, it's one of my favorite video parts. But in my mind, I'm like. Oh, I didn't get to go really hard on that one. I don't like it that much, you know, but yeah. everyone has their own like a perspective of what they see on the outside. So yeah. anyway, yeah, I think what we've been going at it for a couple of hours, maybe you could just take this, this podcast and split it in half. <laughs> maybe, or maybe we'll just keep the whole thing. Cause that's no way. the beauty about podcasts is it saves your spot. So if you listen for 30 minutes, you got an hour. That's why I love podcasts. Cause I love long form conversations and I, uh, I'll just, yeah. I listen to like three hour lectures. I'll listen to like, that's crazy. 20 hours if they have them. Like I, I love like long audio books and stuff. As long as it saves your spot, I can pick back up. But like, that's why I that's do the true. podcast. Yeah, that's true. I just look at like, um, you know, the nine club, they'll have like three, three to five hour, uh, sessions. Yeah. And sometimes I'm like, it's hard for me to like go through the whole four hour conversation that's yeah. why i was like oh maybe we should split this one so that way it's like not so long yeah i i think it's awesome the way it is but maybe maybe all right, all right. Hey, <laughs> either way I, yeah either way i appreciate it because like i feel like this is three hours with with you and then we give it some time and then there'll be another one you know and then it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. you get people in doses you know i, I love right. this format um but yeah thank you dude super thank uh, you appreciate this uh, thank you i appreciate it i really enjoyed talking to you and hearing your stories and this is the all i need skate podcast if you enjoy the podcast please let us know by subscribing liking and sharing an episode hello friends welcome back to the show each and every episode is brought to you by all i need we are a growing skateboard company focused on supporting our skate team. Our decks are seven ply Canadian maple made right here in the USA. If you enjoy the show and would like to help support it, the best way to do that is to skate one of our decks. If you see an all I need deck at your local skate shop, swoop it up and shred it. If you don't live near a skate shop, don't worry. We have you covered at alllineedskate.com. Something new to the online store is our script pullover hoodie. It comes in three colorways. We have black, navy, and maroon, and sizes small through 2XL. And again, check out all our skateboards and apparel at allineedskate.com. This episode is brought to you by Scooch. Scooch makes the world's most functional Apple and Samsung phone cases. If you're like me and film a lot of skating on your phone, I'd suggest purchasing the Wingman case. It has an epic pop-out kickstand handle that is great for filming skating. Please make sure to use our affiliate link, scoochcase.com forward slash all I need. I'd like to give a shout out to the always epic Tim McKenney for helping connect me with Danny and making this episode possible. This is the first episode of 2023 I love you motherfuckers, and I'm grateful to be here and now with you. Our guest today is the legendary Danny Gonzalez. In this episode, we discuss his early influences with freestyle skating, 
his early days in San Francisco, his ups and downs with sponsorships, which include Stereo, Chapman, Globe, how he dealt with knee and ankle injuries. We discussed the mission to Wallenberg to get that first try kick with Melon Grab. We also talked about his experience in Scientology and acting and much, much more.